0: I would like to, if I could, get inside your heads and have you feel something this morning so that the story that Jesus told can find a place to kind of roost with us. Uh, I grew up in a situation where people uh, were enemies of one another, where there was a hostility between peoples because I grew up in Belfast. And I grew up with some wrong-headed notions about religion Um, that were labeled um, with the word Protestant and the word Catholic. And Protestants and Catholic um, had nothing to do with one another. We were told things about one another that were not true, but that were inflammatory and that pulled us farther and farther apart. I want to tell you about a similar situation in the time of Jesus uh, between two peoples who lived in sheer enmity and animosity with malice towards each other the the jews and the samaritans so let me set set it up by telling you about something that happened in john chapter four and then we're going to go to a story about a samaritan and try to eke out from that story what we should learn today so in john chapter four jesus was with his followers and he said we're going to leave judea and we're going to head to the galilee region and they said okay you're the boss." And he said, so we'll go through Samaria. And the disciples probably did something like, right, we'll go through Samaria. He says, we'll go through Samaria. And they said, you're serious, totally serious. We're going through Samaria, right? So they make their way through Samaria. Um, the disciples go to, to buy some food, and Jesus goes to a well. And when he's at the well, there's a woman. And he says, "Um, could you draw some water for me? And she says, what? He he said, could you draw some water for me? She said, what? You're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, and I'm a woman. And Jesus talks back to her, and he said, "If if you knew the kind of water I could give you and... And so on, but she's, she's still, she is wary, to say the least, of this conversation. And then she fights back at him and she says, well, you Jews, you say that we have to worship in Jerusalem. Whereas our fathers worshipped at this mountain. Jesus talks back to her, he says, the day is going to come when it's more a matter of how you worship from your heart, not, not where you worship. But there is this edginess between them the disciples come back and were told in the text that they were baffled that he was talking to this woman as samaritan but they didn't dare say anything about it now it it turned out remarkably well as as you remember and, and there's a softness that comes into the story where jesus says um go and tell your husband and she says well i actually." I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, I know. How many is it now? And she goes back to town and says, I think I've met the prophet. Um, But the background of that is this serious animosity. So for us to understand the story we're going to read this morning, which is the story of the Good Samaritan, we really need to get into, if you like, the sandals of a Jew or a Samaritan. And we have to know that they utterly hated one another. It was, it, was, it was animosity of, of the highest degree. It was like I was taught and now know infinitely better. Um, the Jews and the Samaritans had had a long division. And the division began way back in the centuries before Christ when the larger part of Israel was invaded by the Assyrians. And they were taken captive by the Assyrians. They left some people in the southern kingdom. And those people continued to live in the Samaria area. And the, um, the inhabitants of Samaria then were visited permanently by those who were sent by the Assyrian king to resettle this area of Judah, this area of Israel. And they intermarried So the the Jews left in the land, married up with the Assyrians that were planted in the land, and they began to have children. Now when the Assyrians who were planted into the area of Samaria got there, they continued just to worship their own idols, what they brought with them, and they left the Israelites alone, worshiping their gods. But then there was a plague of lions, if you can believe it, And these Assyrians began to wonder if the reason the lions were preying on them and they weren't being protected from the lions was that they had angered the gods of the Israelites. So the king of Assyria literally sent a priest, an Israelite priest, to convert those that he had settled back into the the land of Judah and they began to worship the God of Israel except they didn't stop worshipping their idols. And they began to just have this morphed religion, this kind of syncretism that was a bit of Judaism and a bit of their own idolatry. And as the centuries went on, they became more and more distinct from the Israelites and from the Jewish religion that had predated them. And because of that, the Jews hated them. They hated them because of their false religion, and they hated them because they were a mixed race, they were not pure. As well as that, the Samaria area began to be a haven for, for convicts. So people who were exiles and for other reasons had fled their own country, came and settled in the Samaria area. So the Jews believed that those who were harbored by the Samaritans and those who lived in the area of Samaria were probably also criminals because that's where they were likely to hang out. They also had a completely different view of religion by now. And so when Jesus was on earth, the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans was palpable. So here you are, and Jesus is going to tell you a story that is about a Samaritan. And I tell you all of that because I think for most of us, the story of the good Samaritan is just a lovely story. But we need to dig into it and under it to figure out what, what did this story mean altogether? Are we gonna be able to get up and running over here, I wonder? Talk among yourselves just for a second here. So shall we can you just flip back and forth to the HDMI? Okay, I'm going to look at my screen and I'll tell you what's on there. (laughs) See if we can make this work. Pink. Everyone waits with bated breath. All right, I have a beautiful picture here of the Good Samaritan love you to see it, so can you just come up one by one? No, (laughs) we'll not bother that. Here we go. Um, So an expert in the law, we're told, um, comes up to talk to Jesus one day, and here's what we read. Uh, This is in Luke chapter 10. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, But who is my neighbor? So, first of all, who is this lawyer? Um, he's a specialist in the law. He, he's not a lawyer like we think of lawyers. He's, he's not someone who resolves or you know disputes cases. He, he knows the religious law. He's an expert in the religious law. He would be consulted by the Pharisees and scribes who were the ones who policed um, the behavior and the belief of the Jews. But he was a scholar. He was someone who spent his life studying and studying, refining and writing case law based on the moral and ethical expectations of the Jewish faith. So he's a brilliant person. And we're not sure you know, how well-intentioned his question is. We don't know what's in his, his heart or his mind. But when he asks Jesus this question, um, Jesus does a remarkable thing. He turns it back to him, which is a great thing to do if you want to buy some time when you're having a conversation. Somebody asks you a question and say, well, what do you think? That's a great pastoral strategy that I have used. I had a young person once come talk to me. She came in. She sat down. She said, don't say it. I said, say what? She said, I know what you're going to tell me. So I said, what? So she told me what I was going to tell her. It took her about 20 minutes. And she said, OK, that's fine. I'll go back home. And her dad called me. And he said, I don't know what you said to Denise, but thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, I just let her tell me what she thought I was going to tell her. And she was right so turning it back is good thank who did this oh Bethany go. so what does the law tell you well the law says love God with all your heart mind soul and strength and your neighbor is yourself good that is it that is the moral ethical expectation of our faith the lawyer says but I have a follow up who is my neighbor Now, Jesus is a master conversationalist, and the story that he tells in response to this little dialogue is just fantastic. And while I've said to you that most parables are kind of like one or two points, the story of the Good Samaritan is jam-packed full of wisdom, as well as whatever meaning it was that Jesus would like to have had us understand from it. So let us see what the story is that Jesus goes on to tell. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. Now, from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles, and the drop in elevation is 3,000 feet from the high point of Jerusalem to Jericho, which is below sea level. It is an arid, arid part of the world by the time you're getting down into the Jericho Valley. We were there some years ago, and there was a dust storm in the desert around Jericho, and it was terrifying because it is dry as a bone, and the winds are horrific. And even today, the bus ride from Jerusalem to Jericho is kind of terrifying. And if you you ever go to Israel, um, the most skilled people in the land are bus drivers because it's a terrible country for buses, and so they're able to maneuver it with inches to spare. They, they even go on the difficult roads so they can show you how, how great they are. Our bus driver was terrified as he crawled along with this awful dust storm. And the road between Jerusalem and Jericho was referred to as the way of blood because there were so many robbers that would stalk you. And with the turns and the difficult terrain and the drop in elevation and the change in climate and all of that, people were terrified. Of the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. When so when Jesus was beginning to tell this story, I can well imagine that people were looking at one another and saying, just nodding their heads, yeah, he fell among robbers on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho? Of course he did. Because the road was known for the robbers who had all kinds of nooks and crannies where they could hide, and they could also escape before you could even get your wits about you. So Jesus said, There's this man, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls among thieves. And they strip him down and they beat him. And they went away and they left him half dead. So people would have been nodding their heads and saying, yeah, boy, I could see that. And then Jesus goes on. He says, by chance, a priest was going down on the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You think, well, that wasn't very nice of the priest. So you begin to try to imagine, well, why would he have done this? One thought is that he had been in Jerusalem for the feast, had done his duty. He was on his way home, was tired out, and just didn't want to bother. Another was that there was a strong prohibition against touching dead bodies. And so the priest may have looked across the road and surmised that this person was dead. He was left half dead, according to the story. And so the priest passes by and doesn't attend to him. Similarly... A Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, the priests and the Levites are two of the classes of the priesthood. Some were the descendants of Aaron, some were the descendants of Levi. So the Levites, obviously from Levi, and the Aaronic priests were the main priests, and the Levites helped them. So Jesus is simply identifying the two religious leaders, or the two kinds of religious leaders that they would have been familiar with. And he said, when they saw this half-dead man at the side of the road, they just passed him by. Now, I don't know what, what people would have been thinking then or saying then. Would they have been shaming the priest and the Levite? Would they be saying, well, I understand that because who knows? I mean, sometimes people actually pretend they're dead, and then you go over, and then they come out of the, out of the rocks and, and, and get you. So the best thing is just, just to stay clear of that sort of thing. Or some might have said, "Yep," yeah, because probably they had a ceremonial concern, and they couldn't. It wasn't proper for them to take care of it. But as they're thinking about that, at least, and maybe chatting about it, Jesus says something absolutely shocking. He says, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds. He said, a what? A Samaritan? No. Probably he was, he was beaten by Samaritans. That's where they play into this story because we know what they are. And what, what kind of story is this going to be? A Samaritan would not ever help a Jew. Come on. That's a nonsense story you're about to tell. And Jesus says, come with me. Here's the story. The Samaritan was not only moved with compassion when he saw him. He didn't say, oh, my goodness. This thing happens way too often. and and move on. He had compassion on the man, and he went to him, and he took care of him. He dressed his wounds. He put oil and wine in his wounds. He put the man on his own animal, and he took the man to a hotel, to an inn, the Samaritan's Inn. And he said, take care of him for me. Here's, Here's payment for the night. I'll be back tomorrow. And if you need more money, I will bring it with me. Would you please look after him? So people are hearing this story, and they're hearing against the cultural background that I've described to you. They're hearing a story about a person whom they despise, a person whom they hate, uh, whom they've been hearing stories about, who are, they are prejudiced against to the nth degree. And they're hearing Jesus saying that this guy's the hero of the story. The person or the kind of person that you despise most is the hero of this story. Who is that person in you, in, in, in your life? See, for me, in, in those awfully dysfunctional, false growing up days, that was a Catholic. If Jesus had told me that story in Belfast and said there was a Protestant, he was, he was on the 12th of July, um, and he, he, he went down this road in an alley, and he was, he was beaten up and left for dead. And a Catholic came and took care of him and took, what is it? No. I don't know where this story is going, but I'm not having any of it. Or who is it? Who is the sort of person that you despise or dislike or disagree with profoundly? The story is about that person helping you, being a neighbor to you. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what he's going after as he talks to these folks and said this is the way that it went forward. He says then to the lawyer, which of these proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the the thieves? And the lawyer said, um, the one who showed mercy. Probably couldn't get himself to say the word the Samaritan. He said, Yeah, don't have showed mercy. And Jesus said, Go and do the same. And then we're left hanging. We don't know if he did or not. So, what I have told you a little bit about Bob Goff's stuff and what we quoted him last week, he said, It's really easy to agree with what Jesus said, but really hard to do what he told us to do. So the end of this story is not complicated. Jesus says, what the Samaritan did, you do. Because the lawyer had asked a faith question. The lawyer had asked, how do you inherit eternal life? What does it mean to be a person of faith? What does it mean to be a good person? Jesus said, well, what does the law tell you? Well, the law tells me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Yes, that's it. Implication you do that, you're living a religious, faithful, good life. Uh, Question Who's my who's my neighbor? And Jesus does now a remarkable thing, which is also part of the skill of good conversation, and he answers the wrong question because the guy had asked the wrong question. The right question to ask is How do you love your neighbor? How do you be a neighbor? Whereas this guy got caught up in the legalities of, who do I have to love? And then rather than Jesus telling a story where perhaps a Samaritan was the victim and a Jew was the one who came upon him and helped him, and Jesus might have said, see, that's being a good Jew. Jesus turns it on his head and he says, the person you dislike most, the person you despise, the person that you disagree with profoundly, that person behaved this way Toward you, you're the good guy, he's the bad guy. What was he doing? And the lawyer had to concede he was being a good neighbor. He was loving. So Jesus goes right for the jugular, and he, he goes to the, the, the places in the lawyer's life and heart where there's a darkness, where there's hatred, and he says, let me tell you a story about what it really means to be a person of faith. And he uses a person whose faith all of those who were listening to him would have despised and said that guy's faith is wrong. His theology is wrong. He believes the wrong stuff. But the question is a question of faith. The, the guy wanted to know how you, be, how you are a faithful religious person. And Jesus gives an example of a person who believes the wrong stuff but does the right thing. And what he's implying is you might have everything right in your theology books But this guy lives a life of faith. He's good. He's meeting the ethical, moral expectations of the law, even though you despise him. So when I figure all of that out, there's some questions that I end up needing to ask myself. So here's what these questions are. First of all, would I take help from someone I, let's collect them all together, I dislike, despise, disagree with? Because this is what Jesus wants us to deal with, I think, is um, it was a Samaritan that helped the Jew. Before we go any farther, what would you do in that situation? Um, when we lived in Vancouver, we were, I was a young pastor. We were living on this cul-de-sac. Um, I really wanted to be a good example on the street. But there was a better Christian than me whose name was Ming, who was Buddhist. But he was a better Christian than me. And it was one of the first big theological dilemmas that I faced because we were no sooner on the street than Ming came down and said, my shed is always open. If you need a lawnmower, if you need a weed whacker, if you need anything, just come and take it. And by the way, we hardly ever lock our doors. So if we're not home and you need anything, just come on in. I'm going, how do you beat that? How am I going to be a better Christian than Ming? And how am I going to explain that he's a better person than I am, but he's wrong, right? W- would I take help from Ming? Well, I did, and delightfully, and it was, it was a wonderful street, Great and great things happened. But, you know, Jesus is poking at something. This anger, this hatred between the two peoples was, was, was just was wrecking society in, in many ways. So before I can get the story into into my warp and woof, I need to deal with the question, would I take help from somebody that I don't like, that I actually despise, that I disagree with profoundly? Would I? The second question is, would I give help to a Samaritan? Um, And let's collect in the dislike, despise, disagree, and that's a Samaritan, right? Who's the Samaritan in your life? Who are the Samaritans? And first of all, would you let them help you? And then secondly, would you help them? Or would you say he had it coming in some way or other? Would you say he deserves it or deserved it? Or would you somehow or other characterize him or her in some way that excuses you from any responsibility to help the person? See, anybody can help anybody out that's your good friend. You know, you'd die for your children. You would die for your good friends, maybe. You would, you would sacrifice for people that you like. You would sacrifice for people who are like you. But Jesus says, I don't want, if you want to talk about what real religion is, Let me give you a story that's going to make your head spin. It's not helping out people that are easy to help out. It's not helping out people that are easy to like and agree with. It is helping people who hate you. So here's this guy lying half dead, and he looks up, and out of his barely openable eyes, he notices it's a Samaritan that has come to his rescue. He hates Samaritans. He's been told the stories about Samaritans that I was told about Catholics. He was told that they deserve to be despised. They deserve to be excluded because they are wrong. They live wrong. They are dirty. They are probably criminal. And this is what has come to help him. So is he going to take the help or is he going to ask God just to please leave me alone and, and move on? He takes the help. Would you give help to someone that is not your kind? Would I? Um, Third question, would I give help to a Jew that is someone who dislikes me? So here's someone who is the worst because that person is arrogantly different from me, thinks that I'm an idiot for whatever reason, and has said so. And I need to ask the question, would I give help to that person or would I say, you had that coming. I've been waiting for payback. How do you get get eternal life? Well, what does the law say? You love God entirely and you love your neighbor. But who's my neighbor? No, you don't get to go away scot-free. You have to think about the fact that there are people who are not your people. And you have to wonder whether you would help them or whether you would let them help you if you want to get anywhere near the territory of faithful religion, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. To what lengths would I go to be a neighbor? You know, a toonie into the guitar case is a start. Right. But to what lengths would you go? The lengths that this Samaritan went to Again, they would have been saying, no, 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 that's not what would happen. And Jesus says, my story, I get to tell it my way. Mm-hmm. He put the dead, half-dead man on his camel or donkey, whatever it was, took him to an inn. And after he had taken care of him, he said, could you just take care of him until I go get done what I have to get done? And then I'll be right back. And whatever costs are incurred, I'll pay them. We need to make sure this guy is good. Good. We need to make sure he's fine before I'm I'm going to think I've done my, my proper duty and responsibility. How far would I go to help somebody? How far would I go to help somebody who is actually not my people? And how could I get rid of the prejudices that might incline me not to help the person who's... Not me. If I'm a Jew, it's a Samaritan. If I'm a Samaritan, it's a Jew. Someone that I despise or someone who despises me. It doesn't matter. What lengths would I go to? Because Jesus says, you want to know? You want to know how to inherit eternal life? You have to live this way. With the people you are most different from, with the people you are least likely to be with, with those people, will you let them help you? Will you help them? And to what degree will you go to help those people? And then the the theological question that also kind of emerges out of this is this one. Could a Samaritan qualify as neighborly? What if somebody, so what Shirley said to us earlier, what if somebody who doesn't follow Jesus behaves more like a Jesus follower than I do? Who has eternal life? It's a theological conundrum, right? Right? The Bible tells us some things about you can't really do good because fundamentally you're evil. Um, but here's Jesus telling a story, and it's a faith answer, right? So it's it's not a, a technical answer. The lawyer wanted to know how you get eternal life, which is what we're all interested in. How do you, how do you be a follower of God? How do you be um, someone who's in a relationship with God? Jesus says, well, what does the law tell you? It tells me to love God with all that I am, and it tells me to love my neighbor. Okay? Do the, well, who's my neighbor? Well, I'll tell you a story. Here's a story of a person who did what the law requires. Loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. Well, we don't know about the first part, Jesus says, but the second part qualifies him. He loved his neighbor. Uh, who's my neighbor? <sighs> Here's how you be a neighbor. And we're left wondering, could a Samaritan qualify as neighborly out of your belief? That's the only way we can tell. So James says, you tell me you have faith? Hmm? okay? Show me your faith by your works, by your deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. So, in a day when we're wondering about what evangelical means, in a day when we are dotting I's and crossing T's in the evangelical movement over who's in and who's out, over, you know, this movement and that movement and the other movement, I think Jesus steps into the fray and says, "Um, are you living the loving relationships with the people around you that Jesus told you to Um, well, I have some trouble with that, but see, I really, I think I'm, I think I've got my theology pretty well figured out. I think I know, you know, where I fall on the line between, you know, um, God's sovereignty and and human free will and and these sorts of things. And it's like, that doesn't matter. Are you loving your neighbor? Uh, Who's my neighbor? Come on, you know who your neighbor is. It's most likely to be the person you dislike, don't agree with, fundamentally have issues with, and you're just not likely to hang out together. So do you love that person to the nth degree? Because if you show me that you do, then we'll say that's it. That is how you inherit eternal life. It's the forensic evidence of faith that we do what Jesus told us to do. Not just that we believe what he told us to believe. Is it important to know what we believe? Absolutely. But you can't go around saying you're right about what you believe and not act out of the gospel love that Jesus calls us to. So, where do we go? We go and we keep listening to Jesus and we keep saying to him, I'm sure I'm wrong about a whole lot of things, so I'm going to keep on listening. I'm going to try more and more to grasp what you're saying. It's worth discovering Jesus. It is worth focusing on what he said and watching what he did and copying him. So here's a story that's a nice story that we've all heard, but it's a disturbing story because it's got the characters doing the wrong things. And Jesus left us in this disequilibrium, right? In this dissonance that says, "Yeah, but it was a Samaritan that helped a Jew." Like the Samaritan's wrong, and he's dirty, and he's a, he's he's a criminal, and the Jew's good because he worships at, in Jerusalem, not in Mount Gerizim, and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbors yourself." That's it. Love everybody to the nth degree. Let there be nothing left to do in living your love. And then we'll be satisfied that you've gone from the question to the answer. How do you get eternal life? Who's my neighbor? Just do this, Jesus says. Why don't we pray about it? Father, I pray that you can let this story um, worm its way into our minds and hearts with all of the, all of the nuances and, and twists that are in here. Um, all of the uh, just little things that should uh, cause us to think and wonder. And we, we thank you that Jesus was such a master in conversation and stories that um, when he wanted people to, to know who he was and to know the truth, he just told them stories. So, Father, may we be story listeners, and may they just uh, seep into our lives and become true in us as we seek to follow him, and in this case, to love as he told us to love. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, it's not so much what you say you believe. It's altogether what you act.